Hey, Jacob's Well, this is Joshua Scoyne. I'm one of the student pastors here at Jacob's Well and extremely excited to be bringing you guys this message this weekend. We are on week three of our series, Wilderness, and we're gonna be looking at the Shema, an incredible prayer in the Old Testament where God is building in an identity for his people, telling them this is who you are. Hope you guys enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. I'm so glad to be with you guys. This is the first chance that I get to speak on this stage on a weekend, and it feels Really good. I'm excited about this. Hey, my name is Joshua. I'm one of the student pastors here at Jacob's Well. And I don't know about you guys, but this winter, like if I think back to November, I kept going like this whole winter being like, oh man, this has been easy. This has been no problem. You know, and it, it was cold, but sure, whatever, we can deal with cold. And we were getting through January and I'm like, you know what? We might get through this whole thing with almost no snowfall. This is incredible. And then boom! February happened, and it destroyed that. And I don't think, I was looking back on my life, I don't think I have ever seen in my entire life this much snowfall at one time. Yet we choose to live here. I don't know. My my theory is that Wisconsin hates us. I'm not completely sure, but it seems to be the case. Hey, I want to thank you guys for coming out, those of you guys that braved the weather to be here tonight. And I know since, I don't know if you guys have all heard this, but we canceled services for tomorrow morning already, which feels super bizarre, which means that some of you guys are listening right now at home. And so everybody that's at home, hi, thank you guys for listening. And what I think is super cool about this idea is there's probably people in houses all over the Chippewa Valley meeting together with their families worshiping together. It's like we got little little house churches all over the valley, and I love that picture. It's so awesome. Well, like I said, I'm one of the student pastors here, which means I get the privilege of hanging out with your kids um, a lot and getting to do crazy things. Like this last weekend, we went to camp, and we were at this thing. It's called Winter Retreat. It's for middle school students, so sixth grade, 7th grade, and 8th grade, which if you've never experienced a whole camp retreat with middle school students, <sighs> It's crazy. It's crazy. We've talked about, we've joked about before, like, should we just hand deodorant out at the door? We haven't gotten there yet, but it's a real possibility, something that we should seriously consider. But we just got back from this camp, and, and it was awesome. You know, sometimes I go into these weekend retreats, and I, and I always expect something cool. I always expect the kids to have fun. I always expect them to learn something, but I usually think, okay, it's a short period of time. Like, what could really happen? And again, at this last camp, my mind was kind of blown by what God decided to do. We had a great camp speaker, and he was talking about identity the whole time. He started off by talking about the masks that we wear. Like, I have my school mask, and I have my family mask, and I have my friend's mask. And, and we, sometimes we get confused which mask we're wearing at that time, because we're constantly switching them out. And the kids latched on to this question, this, this question about who, who am I really at the core of me? Saturday night, he shared the gospel, and I heard from so many of the small group leaders and the cabin leaders who said, my small group was different. It changed. Like, our kids were so much, they were so connected with us as leaders. They were connected with each other. They were asking really intense questions about Jesus. And I'm sitting there going like, okay. Awesome. Like, we couldn't have planned that. We couldn't have manufactured that, especially with middle school students. Praise God. It's awesome. And I know about one of the boys' cabins that had a particularly powerful uh, time where they got really vulnerable with each other and with their emotions, and it was just a beautiful thing. So with that, I just want to say thank you to you guys. We could not do these camps if it wasn't for our church the kind of prayers, the kind of support. Some of you guys have uh, helped uh, do scholarships so that kids who don't have the funds can go to these things. You need to know that God is doing stuff and he's changing hearts and he's changing lives and it's a beautiful thing. So we so appreciate it. 
Well, hey, before we dive in back into this series, let's just take a moment to pray and just to ask the Holy Spirit to do something cool. Lord, I thank you so much for who you are and the fact that you are here in this room with us right now. And Holy Spirit, I know you have a plan. You have desires for us to reach greater depths of relationship with you. Lord, I pray that this message would be one that would just encourage all of us to look at the Bible deeper, to crave to know more about you, that we wouldn't just pass through verses quickly, but we'd want to know what is the deep cultural context and the deep meaning and how can this impact my relationship with you. Holy Spirit, take over. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... We've been in this series called Wilderness. It's this, I, it, I, this place that the Israelite people were in after they left Egypt. Okay, They left Egypt, and they are heading to this place. They're heading to the promised land, this place that they have been, it's, uh, they have been destined to go for, and they've been hoping and praying and so excited to be there. But they're in this waiting place, this in-between, in-between where I was and where I'm going. It's the now and the not yet. And I think it's important for us to remember where they were, like as a people. Just, just imagine this for a second. They have been slaves for 400 years. That's crazy. And, and that's not something you just let go of easily. And now God has done this miracle where he set them free and he's leading them to this promised land. But the problem is they have no idea who they are. They have no clue. Over that last 400 years, their culture, their religion, and their history as a people has been stripped away from them. Over the last 400 years, their identity has been wrapped up in their suffering. They were worked like animals by harsh, abusive masters, and they were surrounded by the culture of Egypt. That's who they perceive themselves as. That's who they view themselves as, as lesser than, as not equal to the people around them, as slaves. And they are stuck in that mentality. And so the crazy thing is, God has done a miracle. He set them free. They're no longer slaves. But at the same time, they have no clue how to be free. This is a big deal. So last week, Paul gave a message on idols. All these man-made gods that we pour our time and our energy and our worship into. And we looked at the golden calf and how the Israelites tried to make this thing that they could worship to, something that they could put their hope in. But what I loved about last week's message is we saw that they're not so different from us. That for all of human history, we've been doing this thing over and over and over again, where we've been trying, uh, we were made to know God, to be with our creator, to be with the one true God, but over and over, we turn away from him, and we start worshiping these useless, empty things around us. I don't know about you guys, but that was a killer message last week. I was sitting there listening, and I was like, oh, that's me, and that's me. Oh, shoot, you know, it was just really good to hear that, and it hit me right where I needed to. There's a couple of quotes that I just wanted to remind us all of that I thought were so good. When you start realizing what you're sacrificing to your gods, you should be horrified by it. Man, I heard that, and I was like, oh, okay. And if you give yourself to an idol, you'll forget everything you ever knew about Jesus. They will drive God out of your life and corrupt your heart. I'm so grateful that we have teaching like that at this church. Teaching that calls us out and challenges us and makes us realize, oh, there's compromise. Because all of us have done that. So that's kind of where they were at. And this idea that the Israelites and us today would trade the life that can only be found in God for man-made things that could never, ever 
satisfy us. That's where we were. So today, we're going to flip that script. We're going to look at the opposite because God gave the Israelites a prayer in the Old Testament. It's called the Shema that would help them fight against this natural desire and urge inside of our hearts to wander away from God. This prayer, it's massively important to the Hebrew people. Okay, they would pray it every single morning and every single evening over and over and over again, reminding themselves who they are. And that's what this is. That's what this whole prayer is. The Shema is all about God giving his people a new identity. They saw themselves as slaves. They saw themselves as less than. And God is saying, no, that is not who you are. And you are not like the other nations. This is who you are. This is what is going to define you. So let's check it out. It's in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. It says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. It's very short. It's two verses. But this prayer become, became crucial to them, one that they would remember and put so much focus on. And what I've come to find is there's so much meaning packed into just a few words here. But I don't think that our English translation, like when we just go through this really quickly, that it really gets at the depth and the richness that is here. So today, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to spend some time looking at the Hebrew words of all these keywords that are up here kind of bolded. Because we're going to see a richness and a treasure that God has put in this. And there's a reason why this has meant so much to God's people for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So we're going to get a little nerdy today. So I hope you guys, you guys ready for a little bit? Okay, nice. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so the first word that we have here is here, okay, here. Here in, in Hebrew is this word shema. That's where the whole verse gets its name, okay? Now, this is a command to listen, to pay attention, but also to respond. We see in Psalm 27, 7, uh, when David is calling out to, to God and he's saying, hey, I'm in a horrible situation. He's crying out and he's saying, Lord, listen to me. And he says, hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. And I think the first beautiful thing we see here is to ask God to hear or to listen. Is not just saying, open up your ears and, and receive what I'm, what I'm saying, but it's asking him to act. It's asking God to respond. When we call out to him and say, God, please hear what I'm saying to you in my prayers and my cries, is God, I need you to do something. So they're connected here. And we see the flip of this in Exodus 19.5 when God says it to us. And he says, now if you, Shema, Shema, every time when you're looking at your Bible and you see a repeated word, like I think a good example is holy, 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 there's a meaning for that. It means that we're adding emphasis. We are really drawing, uh, this is like double, uh, double important. So it's now if you really listen closely to me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. This is pretty neat. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey. It doesn't exist. So if you wanted to say to someone, hey, I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to do what you say, you would use just the one word, shema. It's this idea that listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. Pretty cool. So we start out with that word, hear, O Israel. Then we move on to the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This one gets me really excited because I think too many people in the church don't know about this. When it says the Lord here, in Hebrew, it's the word Yahweh. This is God's name. And it's a name that we don't think about very often. We don't talk about a whole lot. But it's the personal name of Israel's God. And he gives it to Moses at the burning bush. So Moses is there and this bush like 
bursts into flame, which first of all would be like, what's going on? But then it wouldn't burn up and he hears a voice out of it. And God's speaking to Moses and he's telling him, hey, I'm going to set my people free and I'm going to use you to do it. And it's an incredible thing. I have to imagine what's going through Moses' mind. Like, what's happening? He didn't know this God. He didn't know anything about this. And now he's hearing this voice. So he's like, okay, okay, I'm going to do it. But then he asks God a question. When I go to your people and I try to tell them all this incredible stuff you just told me, first of all, they don't know me. They don't trust me. Like, it's not going to mean anything for me. So, so how is this going to mean something? What should I, if the people ask your name, what should I say? And he answers in Exodus three fifteen: Say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. This word Yahweh, I think the best way we can try to understand what it means is, is uh, it's the I am. It's this idea that God is saying, hey, I'm the one who was and who is and who forever will be. I have no beginning. I have no end. When you're weak, I'm strong. At all times, I am consistent. I am. So that's this name that God has given to him. Now, crazy thing, like I said, is we, a lot of us don't know this word. And, and the big reason we don't know this word is because in our English translations, we don't see it. Okay? So it's kind of fascinating um, what happened here. So centuries went by, um, and the Israelite people, when they were reading the scripture and they would see this word Yahweh, they had this concept of it that they realized, okay, this is God's name that he revealed to Moses, and it's holy, and it's so holy and so sacred, nobody should say it. So, so when they would read out loud the scripture, every time they would come to the word Yahweh, they would replace it with the Hebrew word for Lord, which is Adonai. Okay? Some of you may have heard that before. And so they would say Adonai, and eventually this worked its way into translation so that every time the word Yahweh came up in the original text, it got replaced with Adonai, which is Lord. And that's kind of how now in our English Bibles, we see Yahweh translated as Lord. But the cool thing is, every time when you're reading through your Bible and you see Lord in all caps, you know that it means Yahweh. That's who it's talking about. It's the divine name. There's kind of two uses of this word. It's, it's this all caps where it means Yahweh. There's also where it's not all caps where it does mean Lord. It's Lord or master. You could talk about your boss. You could talk about the Lord Jesus Christ as he's, he's the master over me. But whenever you see it in all caps, it's this name, Yahweh, that he tells us that we should remember and we should treasure. Kind of a cool thing. Um, so we see that Yahweh is our God. And Yahweh is one. And I don't think most of us would appreciate how huge this line was to this people at this point in history. But you, what you need to know is the Hebrew people were surrounded by nations like, like the Egyptians and the Canaanites and the Midianites who believed in many, many, many gods. They had a pantheon of gods that they believed in. And to the Hebrew people, that was normal everybody's got a God. And if you were around the Egyptians and you would come to maybe embrace some of these gods and you met a Midianite and they're like, oh no, but there's also this one. You'd be like, oh, okay, I have room for that. Like kind of think Greek mythology type thing. But God is trying to tell them that is dangerous. It is so dangerous for my people to think that I am just one of many other gods or that those other man-made created ideas have any real worth. So he's saying, no, no, no. People of Israel, your God is Yahweh, and Yahweh is one. This was a radical worldview shift against polytheism. 
And it's all about reframing our mind and for the Israelites and for us today to know Yahweh is not like these other gods. He is so much greater and so much further beyond them. So the Shema is a daily reminder that we serve the one true God. All right, we move on to that second sentence and it says, love the Lord your God. So that word love is fascinating because in English it means way too many things, right? So I love my wife and I love my mom and I love pizza. And somehow it all kind of works in the same realm. So I think whenever we see this word love, we should ask, well, what does that mean? So in Hebrew, love is this word ahava. And God's ahava is so much more than a feeling. It's an action. It's something that God actively chooses to do. In Jeremiah 31.3, it says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. When it says everlasting, it's telling us that his love has no beginning and it has no end. That God's love just is. I think the New Testament puts it so well by saying that God is love. And it also means, super important, that it's not about us earning his love or earning his affection. But that this is his natural state is to love people and to pour out affection on people and to rescue people. That is our God and that's the character of who he is. Now, just like God's love, our love, human love, is supposed to be a reflection of that. It's supposed to show itself through action. So I demonstrate my love for God when I treat the people around me with dignity and respect and with care. See, that's the kind of love we're talking about. Because we are so loved by God, how could we not help but share that same ahava with the people around us? That's the mark of a true believer. And in 1 John 4.19, we see we love because he first loved us. Just a ton packed into these words. It's beautiful. So we're going to keep on going. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart is the next key word. This one's really interesting because in our culture, we immediately think that this means God is saying, love me with all of your emotions, right? With all of your feelings. Because in our culture, that's what it means. That's kind of the metaphor here. But to the ancient Hebrew people, they didn't have a concept of the brain, okay? They didn't have a concept that intellectual activity happened in their mind. So when they imagined where all of intellectual activity was, it was centered in the heart. That's what they believed it was. So, for example, you know with your heart. Your heart is where you understand and make connections. In the book of Proverbs, it says that wisdom dwells or lives inside of the heart, and it's where we make our choices and pursue the desires of our heart. So it's it's a big word, and it includes a lot. It's our thoughts and our emotions, our desires, all of it is in our heart. I think a good way to think of it is in our culture, we would say, okay, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your mind would kind of include these ideas that are here. But there's a huge problem. There's a huge problem with this because a major theme in the Bible is that the human heart is fundamentally broken. We see this in Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And the prophet Jeremiah had good reason for thinking this because in his day, he watched a whole generation of people turn away from God and start to get won over by the nations around them and the religions around them. And the Israelite people started to sacrifice their children as acts of worship to these other gods. And they thought it was fine, like it was no big deal. They looked at the cultures around them and they thought, well, they're doing it. So it must be fine. It must be acceptable. 
The problem with humans is that we so easily um, let our convictions and our morals drift to whatever the culture around us says is okay. Good thing we don't do that anymore. This is at the core of the gospel. On our own, we are broken and we are helpless. And our only hope is for God to come in and transform us from the inside out. And that's why we see all these prophecies like Ezekiel 36, 26, where he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. David, after he had sinned with Bathsheba and had killed her husband, if you've never heard that story, look it up. The Bible's crazy. David begged God to create in me a pure heart. Like this idea that the only way I can really follow you and worship you, God, is if you do a complete work of new creation inside of me. Create in me a pure heart. So to really love God with all of our heart means that we need to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. We need him to fundamentally change something inside of us. And if you are a believer in Jesus, that's happened. Happened and is happening. So let's give him all that we've got. So we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul. This one's probably my favorite because it's super weird and it's way different than what most of us would think. Okay, Soul in Hebrew is this word nefesh. The English word for soul, it comes with a ton of baggage from like ancient Greek philosophy. It's this idea that it's this eternal spiritual part of us. And while we're here on earth, our soul is contained or like trapped inside of this fleshy thing right here. And that someday when we die, our soul is going to float up and it's going to be with God and we'll be just, I don't know, doing this on clouds. And then everything will be great. And this is a concept that we've kind of adopted. We've seen it in movies. We've kind of heard it our whole lives. The crazy thing is that has nothing to do with the meaning of soul in Hebrew. Could not be further from the truth. Okay, so what is it? We describe the soul as this intangible, immaterial thing, but in Hebrew, it's the exact opposite. The most common use of the word nefesh actually is to describe your throat, which seems strange. And it's like, how do they get what? Okay, there's a good example in the wilderness story where the Israelites, now that they're they're no longer slaves, but they so quickly forget how much they were tortured and how bad they had it because they're, they're wandering through this desert and they're thirsty and they're thinking, oh no, we left that experience to only be into maybe a worse experience. And so they start complaining and grumbling and they say, we miss the cucumbers and the melons that we had in Egypt. Now our nefesh, our throat has dried up. There's a story about uh, Joseph. When his brothers sell him into slavery, it says they bruised his feet with shackles and his nephesh was put in irons. Again, his neck or his throat. So that's like the most common use of this word. But it could also be used to describe your whole body, your whole physical living being, okay? I'm going to go morbid for just a second because I said that the idea of soul that we've kind of adopted from Greek philosophy is that someday we'll die and our soul is going to drift off and be with God. But if you were to look at a corpse or a dead person, in the Bible that's still described as a nephesh. That is a nephesh. It's just now described as a dead nephesh. So do you see what I'm getting at here? I don't think this could be any more different than the idea of soul that we've grown up with. So to love the Lord our God with all of our nephesh is to love him with this whole physical being to cry out to him. I think it's really beautiful when you contrast it with that Hebrew word for heart, lev. Because in that, it's saying that we should love God with all that intangible, the stuff that we can't touch. That part of us, so our thoughts and our emotions and our choices, we should love him with that. 
But at the same time, we should love God with all of the tangible side of us, this physical part of us. And it's beautiful because God created us spiritual and physical on purpose. That was not a mistake. That's who we're meant to be. And I I think this completely changes how we view eternity and our resurrection. Like in our culture, we have this idea, again, that we will be this disembodied spirit thing and we'll just float around on clouds. But that's not what the Bible says. If you look at the end of Revelation, you see that God has made a new heaven and a new earth, and now they are one thing. They have come together, and we're there in resurrected, glorified bodies. So we were created to be spiritual and physical, and someday we will perfectly be spiritual and physical. It's a beautiful picture. So I think this is a cool way to think about it. In the Bible, people don't have a soul. You are a soul. And in Psalm 42, we see a beautiful um, kind of description of this. From a song that many of us might have grown up in church singing, it's the As the Deer uh, passage. And it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my nephesh pants for you, my God. My nephesh thirsts for God, for the living God. So on a physical level, our throat can be thirsty, just like that deer, longing for the water. But then there's this beautiful metaphor where our whole being is thirsting, is longing, is desiring to be with our creator, with the one who made us, with the only one who could ever satisfy. It's just really beautiful language. Love it. So we've got love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your thoughts, and your emotions, and your choices, and love the God with your whole, with your whole physical being. And then finally, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your strength. This one in Hebrew is the word meod. Don't know if I said that correctly. And this one's weird. So I have a video clip because I think it's going to explain it in a really cool way. This video is from the Bible Project. And I really encourage you guys to check out their series on the Shema if you're enjoying this. Because it's just, they do such a beautiful artistic way of explaining this. You can find it free on YouTube. It's also on Right Now Media. So let's just check this out. Very short clip. And it'll come back up. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the last word, strength. The Hebrew word is ma'od, and it occurs some 300 times in the scriptures, and it doesn't actually mean strength. There is a perfectly good word for strength in Hebrew, and ma'od is not it. In fact, the Shema is one of the only places in the whole Bible where ma'od is translated as strength. So, what's up with that? The most common meaning of ma'od is very or much. It's what grammar nerds call an adverb, a word that comes alongside other words to augment their meaning. For example, in Genesis chapter 1, God looks at the world that he's made and six times he calls it good. But then the climactic seventh time, he says, it is ma'od good. That is, very good. Later in Genesis, in the story of Noah, the flood waters keep rising and they become ma'od powerful or extremely powerful over the land. In the story of Cain and Abel, Cain wasn't just angry at his brother, he was ma'od angry. Or when Saul became the king of Israel, he was ma'od happy. So you can see why ma'od occurs hundreds of times in the Bible. It's a really common Hebrew word that intensifies the meaning of other words. Very this, or really that. However, biblical authors could use ma'od in ways that are unique. Like when they want to increase a word's force to total capacity, they'll say ma'od twice. 
So Jacob became ma'od ma'od wealthy with flocks and camels and donkeys and servants. Or the Israelite spies went to investigate the promised land and they say, the land we pass through is ma'od ma'od good. So it's pretty clear, ma'od doesn't mean strength in terms of muscle power, but rather very or much. So let's come back to the Shema, where people are called to love God with all of their heart, that is their will and affections, and with all of their soul, that is their whole life and physical being, and with all of their ma'od, that is with all of their muchness. And while that sounds kind of funny, you also kind of get it. If ma'od can intensify any word's meaning to total capacity, then this final thing that you use to love God isn't a thing at all. It's actually everything. Loving God with your ma'od means devoting every possibility, opportunity, and capacity that you have to honoring God and loving your neighbor as yourself. It's the most wide and expansive word in the Shema. Ma'od can refer to almost anything. So, we should love God with all of our muchness. I love that picture. So, we've been spending all this time on these two short verses And this is what's known as the Shema, but it continues from there. And I want to show you guys a passage that comes right after Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. It says this. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. If we're wondering why did the Hebrew people care so much and why did they repeat it so much and why, well, I think we see that right here. It's so clear. Because God was telling the people of Israel, this is who you are. No matter what the rest of the nations around you believe, you know that there is only one God who was and is and is to come. And you will be defined as a people that love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with your whole physical being and with all of your muchness. And then they would continue to remind themselves of this truth over and over every single morning and every single evening to recenter their life, to recenter their heart around Yahweh. And so we're listening to this and we're hearing about this cultural stuff and how this impacted the ancient Israelites. But now today we need to think about this church and ask ourselves, why should this matter to us? We should look at this and honor this and have as much admiration for this passage as they ever have. Because it's the same truth for us. We should be able to look at the Shema and see, hear, O church of God. Hear, O people of God. Yahweh is our God and Yahweh is one. And we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our thoughts and with all of our emotions and with all of this physical body that God gifted with us in the first place and with all of our muchness. It's this beautiful picture that God is not satisfied with just a sliver of us or just part of us or our leftovers. That a relationship with God is us being completely consumed and surrounded and giving all that we have to the only one who could ever satisfy us. And I think this brings us back so perfectly to last week's message. We so easily turn our hearts to garbage. We were made to know him. He's the only one who could ever give us life, who could ever satisfy us. But so easily we turn our attention And the culture around us and and what they believe and what they're okay with and what's acceptable, it bleeds in. 
And over time, we give in here, and then we give in some more, and then we give in some more, and then we give in some more, until a point where someone can look at us and they don't see things too different about us than they would see of anybody else. We are called to be a people who are set apart, who are different, whose lives are characterized by our trust, by our hope, and by our dedication to Jesus Christ. And so if you're kind of wondering, well, okay, a couple of verses seems like simple stuff from the Old Testament. As the church today, we should look at this idea of devotion, of commitment to God, of constantly pushing out those, those wandering thoughts and the things that draw us away and saying, no, God, I want to be recentered on you. I want you to reframe my worldview. God, I want to be focused on who you are. Remind me, remind me, remind me. So with that, I want to talk about next steps. We're going to invite the worship team out right now. First one is really simple, okay? This week, say the Shema. I want to challenge every person in this room and every person listening online, say the Shema two times every day. You can set an alarm on your phone and, and think about this as, as, as you can join with people of God that have been doing this for thousands of years. You can be a part of what they've been a part of. You can be a part of, of this devotion to God. And I think it would be a beautiful thing for us to think about, God, how can I refocus and recenter on you through this passage? Uh, the devotional is a great thing for you guys to grab on your way out. I know it goes over these same words that we looked at. could really help you to focus and to, to spend time on that. The next thing is we have a worship night coming up this Friday night. It's called Constant. And you guys should consider going because it can do the same thing for you that the Shema can. When we walk into the worship night, it's like we take all that stuff, all the stuff from our, our work week and from our family and all the distractions that have taken over our minds, and we say, no, 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 God, I want to be re-centered on you. I want to remember. I want to come back. So that could be an awesome thing for you to, to try out. And then finally, we have a baptism class coming up on Tuesday, April 9th. And this is a beautiful way for you to say, you know what? No, this, this character of an all-in person, of a person who wants their whole being to be about God, that's who I want to be. And so what baptism is, it's standing up in front of the entire church and saying, I have been transformed by Jesus, and now I want to represent him with my life. So if that's you and you're thinking, okay, okay, I think the time's here, go to that class. It can be a beautiful opportunity for you. And it's going to be Easter Sunday, so what a cool time for us to celebrate together. All right, let's pray. Jesus... Lord, you are so good at all times and in every way. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a greater appreciation for who you are and for the deep things that are in Scripture. Help us to hunger for you, God. Help us to long for greater depth of knowledge. And Lord, I pray this idea of us giving over all of us, not just part of us, but all of our thoughts and all of our emotions and all of our choices and this very body that we've been gifted with, and all the energy and strength and power and muchness that you've built into us, Lord, help us to give that to you. We need you, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.